I'm excited about today. This kicks off our Mission Emphasis series. I'm going to preach this week and next week, and then Josh is going to finish it up um, on, uh, let me get going here, November 6th, which is actual Mission Emphasis Sunday, the first week in November each year. And I've been praying for this day, not only because I, I get to preach or have to preach, depending on how I feel that day, but also for you. My our, the mission committee's desire is that God would use this year to wake up within all of us a greater sense of missions, a greater awe and admiration for what God is doing all over the world. The missions committee is always caught in this tension between what we do now and what God is calling us to do next. And... When you came in today, you should have gotten a booklet that is our mission emphasis booklet this year. And inside this booklet, you can see what we're doing now. You can see everything, all of our missionaries, all of our mission points are listed in here. And you can read about them. And you can find out more about their families and about their work and about the history of their work and what they're doing. Also, you can find the five trips listed in here that we take each year typically places that we go, time of year that they happen, approximately how much they cost, and you can begin to plan and think about how you might go on a trip. The last page, Tom wrote an article, and he's challenging at least 10% of us to go on one of these trips this year, and that may be low. We may be able to do more than 10% this year, but a leap of faith is not just giving. It is a mindset. It's an understanding, and so this map represents all the places around the world in five different countries where we're at. And we want you to read about those. But I want to start out by sharing a conversation that Tom and I had at lunch a couple of months ago. And we were sitting there eating. We were talking about the different mission works. And Tom brought up the fact that Jay's annual trip to Nigeria, to the college, this year the theme was on integrity. And the reason that they needed that theme on integrity is because corruption has gotten so bad that it's just part of the fabric of their culture. And people take bribes, people extort things, raise prices, do things that are not, don't demonstrate integrity. And so they felt a need to do that. And, and Tom said that that's rampant in Haiti too. And I haven't been to either one of those countries, but I have been to the Ukraine, and I have been to Mexico, and I know that corruption is rampant in those countries as well. And it kind of dawned on me, I don't know about Tom, but it kind of dawned on me that that is so pervasive, and one of the other things that is common in all of the areas where we work is they're poor. The people are materially poor. And so it's something that really kind of got me to thinking about, why is that? Why do we go to work in places where people are materially poorer than we are? What's the purpose? So I want to start out by asking, how do you define poverty? I mean, give me an idea. It's okay to speak in church now. Just kind of shout out a couple of things. What would be some of the contributing factors to poverty in your mind? No shoes. What else? No jobs. What? What? No water, no food. So people are lacking things. They don't have the basic necessities of life. 
And we look at that, and that's poverty. Well, if you go to the doctor with a headache or with a stomach ache, are you going to be happy if the doctor says, oh, well, that's probably a migraine. Here, take some aspirin. Oh, that's probably just you ate something bad. Here, take some Pepto-Bismol. Or would you want him to think about it and maybe do some tests and try to figure out what's really going on? What if it's not a migraine? What if it's a brain tumor? What if it's not a stomach ache? But what if you have appendicitis? So if the doctor gets the diagnosis wrong, the treatment's going to be wrong. And that's very dangerous. It could lead to complications or death. So I think this deserves the same. We need to think about this a little bit more. The answers that came out of us are very typical North American answers. Everybody thinks, you know, if it's education, if it's lack of education, which is part of poverty, let's, let's fix that. Let's educate people. Or if it's oppression from powerful groups, let's get involved in social justice. Or if it's bad choices, if it's immorality, then let's go evangelize them. Let's go teach them. Or if it's lack of material things, let's take food, let's take water, let's take shoes, let's give them the things that they need. But is that the real problem? And so as we look at this a little bit deeper, I want to look at two important passages, something that Jesus said. And this first one is in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And this is right after he begins his ministry. So he's just been tempted, and he comes down from that time of tempting, that 40 days of tempting. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth, into the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, conveniently to 61, Isaiah 61. And he reads out of that, and he begins reading as he got the scroll, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, how many of you would expect Jesus, as he's just starting his ministry, to say something like that? I mean, that's a, out of all the things that he could say, why would he choose to start there? Now, he does say, he talks about freedom to the prisoners and recovered sight for the blind and, and to set the oppressed free, but he says, preach good news. And by the way, that's our favorite word, gospel. So that's the gospel, preach the gospel to the poor. And the word, the Greek word that's used for poor here is an interesting word too. Because it's a word that not only describes lack of material things, although it certainly implies that, it has underlying meanings of people that are used to living in need. They realize they need something else. They need someone else. There are people that are used to living under authority. They depend on other people. And it's kind of interesting, because when you think about that, it's much easier to depend on God if you already know you depend on somebody or something. The other one that's interesting is when John the Baptist is arrested and he's in prison, he sends his messengers to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? He knows he's from God, but he doesn't, he's not really sure if he's the one. So he says, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? And look what Jesus says. Jesus says, well, you know, the blind are healed, the lame are healed, and lepers are healed, and the deaf hear, and some of the dead are even raised. But he closes his statement, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So I just am very curious why Jesus feels like that's such an important part of his ministry. And as I thought about it, you know, Luke 19, 10, when Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. And that's part of it. That's important. 
But did Jesus come just to say, you can go to heaven, you can be secure in that, don't worry about it, but not really change anything in the meantime? Or did he come to promise heaven, but also say, your life can be different from now on. Your life can change from now on. My power can live through you. And so if we think about it like that, poverty, we may need to think about it a little bit differently. It's interesting, at the end of World War II, the Allies formed an organization called the World Bank. And the World Bank was established to infuse funds into war-torn Europe, into the countries of Germany and Poland, Czechoslovakia, Italy, to help them get back on their feet. And they were phenomenally successful. Those countries turned around quickly. Those countries experienced economic growth like they never had in their history. So after about 25 years of this, they said, hey, this works pretty well. So let's take this model, let's take this process, and, and let's take it to poor countries like India and other countries. And let's, let's do it there and see if it works there. And they failed miserably. Country after country after country, they tried to do that. And they failed miserably to the point that they said, well, what is going on here? What's the difference? And so they did their research, and in the 90s, in the early 90s, they started doing research, and they thought, hey, let's ask the experts. So they went to 60,000 materially poor people in over 60 countries, and they interviewed them. And they said, tell us about your life. And they wrote a three-volume book that was published in 2000 called The Voices of the Poor. And in that book, some things were said like these are quotes from a person in Moldova. It said, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. In Guinea, it says, when I don't have any, and he was talking about food for my family, I borrow many things from neighbors and friends, and I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family and I'm not well. When I'm unemployed, it's terrible. He feels ashamed. In Latvia, it says, during the past two years, we've not celebrated any holidays with anybody. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house and we feel uncomfortable visiting others. It leaves one depressed. It creates a constant feeling of unhappiness. And in Uganda, a lady quoted, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. The voices of the poor, when they took these 60,000 interviews and they, they boiled them all down, they figured out that poverty is not about things. It's not a material problem. It is a relational problem. It is an attitude reflected in people. I feel less than. I feel unworthy. I feel ashamed. I feel in need. I feel like I depend on everybody and nobody wants me. And so that feeling or that attitude is pervasive among so many people in the world. And I think if we look deep down inside of ourselves we struggle with a lot of those same things. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that before the fall, God created, God made us 
with four foundational relationships to shore us up, to keep us on balance. And those relationships are a relationship with Him, with our Creator, with our loving God, and a relationship with ourself, a way that we see ourselves in the world around us, a relationship with others, and a relationship with the rest of creation. And those relationships are foundational. They're the building blocks of our life. And so our life consists, just like Missy in her bowl, our life consists of what we see and what we feel and what we know is in there with us. And it's reflected back to us. The relationship with God is the most important one. It's the one that everything else flows out of. It is our primary purpose in life to glorify God, to honor Him, to depend on Him. We're created to serve and to give praise and glory to Him. When we know that, when we do that, life works. Our relationship with ourselves, we're uniquely created in the image of God. We are not God, but we are His, and I love this word, we are His image bearers. We bear His image before a world around us. We take it everywhere we go, we reflect it, we show it. And our relationship with others, God has created us to live in, rela in relationship and harmony in community with other people. No man is an island. We can't live alone. We're not designed to live alone. And the cultural mandate of Genesis 1, and 23 is go forth and multiply and subdue the world and be good stewards of it. So we have a God-given responsibility to interact with the world in a way that's sustainable, in a way that is productive in a way that gives and gets back so that we can live off the land. Well, what happens is when these relationships get distorted or broken, which they have in all of our lives, because the fall happened. The fall is real. So life gets messed up. It becomes unlivable. It becomes unmanageable. And since the fall is real, look at this. This is interesting. All of these relationships were distorted or broken. The relationship was God, with God was damaged, and intimacy was replaced by fear. Remember back? Remember the story when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and they were ashamed? And so that intimate, loving relationship where we just kind of hang out every day in the heat of the day, and, or the cool of the day, excuse me, and, and spend time with God was replaced with fear. The relationship with self was marred, the self-image, and there was shame took over. Then this relationship with others was broken because the first thing Adam did was blame Eve. And so cooperative life changed to competition. Well, she made me do it. So those broken relationships affect us. And I know this is a lot to kind of take in, but this is just an introduction. We're going to talk about this more next week. But broken relationships confuse our roles. It affects the way the poor see themselves, the materially poor. They see themselves as needy. They see themselves as dependent. They see themselves as, as incapable of, well, having a life like you, where we work and we earn and, we, and, and we're productive. And we have assets, we have value, we, ha we are blessed, we have gifts by God. We're going to see next week, that's not true. It's a lie from Satan, but it's part of the self-perception. And on our side, 
Now, I'm sorry about this, but I'm going to have to say it. On our side, it's easy for us sometimes to get a God complex because we can help. We can give shoes. We can dig water wells. We can take bags of food. We can alleviate problems. And it makes us feel really good, and it should because there's absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, there's everything good about doing all that stuff. It's good to do. The only question is, is it enough? Is that all that God has called us to do? To preach the good news of salvation so that people can have the hope of heaven and, 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 and go give them stuff so that they can feel a little bit better about right now, about this moment. Or is there something in between those two that God might be calling us to invest in? Is God calling us to learn how to walk along with the materially poor? And in doing that, bless ourselves, learn something about ourselves, about our fears, about our weaknesses, about our failings. Life is hard. I know that. Life is busy. Believe me, I know that. And for us to think about God maybe calling us to, to move into, to lean into another area of life. Are you kidding me? I've already got too much to do. But God might be saying, you know, some of that stuff that you're doing, you need to rethink that. You may not need to be doing all of that stuff. So for, when I point the finger at myself, I'm not, I'm not accusing any of you. When I point the finger at myself, my first question is, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to get rid of? in order to create the space in my life that God can come in and fill. Is that what he wants? Is that what he wants me to do personally? So I'm just throwing the, well, the missions committee, we're just throwing the challenge out there for everyone. We believe that great, great blessings have been done through this church for many, many years, but it could just be the beginning. It could just be the beginning for us as a church. It could just be the beginning for you as a person to take the leap of faith. And that may just start with opening your mind a little bit to, is, could God be calling you to something greater, something more, something way far away, maybe in another part of the world? We hope so. So next week, we're going to talk about our roles. We're going to dive in a little bit more to this us and them kind of thing. Because when we talk about materially poor people, a lot of kind of feelings come up. Sometimes I feel like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about that. It may not be politically correct. Or, oh, you shouldn't be talking about that. You may hurt somebody's feelings. But when I realize that poverty is not material, it's relational, I look at myself and I feel poor. I feel like I'm missing out on so much. There's so much that I do wrong. There's so much that I think wrong, that I feel wrong. So I'm in that boat too. I'm with you. I'm with them. You know, one of the things we say in recovery really is there's not that much difference. We're all in recovery from something. Well, I think the same thing is true of poverty. If poverty is of the spirit, of the, of the dynamic relationships that God wants us to have in those four areas, and we're not taking advantage of that, we're not appreciating that, we're not utilizing that in our lives to grow, 
to be more like his son Jesus, then I'm a poor person. So we're going to talk about that next week and how we might come together because I have learned so much from going to Mexico on mission trips. Every single trip I go on, I hear the same thing on the bus on the way back. Man, that was great. We went down there to serve them and give them food and build them a house and do all of this stuff. But I feel like I was the one that was blessed. It was so incredible. And I've heard that for 20 years. And so it's just kind of, I go down there expecting to be blessed. To give, yes. To teach, yes. To, to do what God's calling me to do. But I know the blessing will be mine. I know that I will bring home a richer heart, a wiser mind, a bigger understanding of God and his world and what he's doing. And I want that for all of us. It's something that's caught more than it's taught. I didn't learn that because I'm special. I learned that because I just happened to be blessed and to be in the right time at the right place where people are trying to figure this stuff out. So... That's our challenge for today. I want you to take a leap of faith, and that may be go on a mission trip. That may be up your MES giving. That may be in the, book, in the, the booklet, you can find email addresses and Facebook pages. It may be reaching out to a missionary and say, hey, I'm praying for you. But for someone in here, it may be, hey, I want to become a Christian. I want to take that leap of faith and, and put my full trust and my full weight on Jesus Christ and let him begin to change my life and open up these areas of my heart. So if that's the case, as Reese leads us in a song, come let us know what we can do to help you or serve you in any way. Reese?